0: Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast from San Jacinto Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at www.sjag.church. Now here's this week's message. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 says, Therefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... Do not cease to give thanks for for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we thank you, God, again, Lord, for each person here. God, for those that are watching online this morning. But, Lord, we're most thankful, Lord, for you being in the midst of us this morning. And, Father, for what you're doing among us, God, and we give you praise. And, Lord, we pray now when it comes to this time of breaking open the bread of life. We pray, Lord, for the anointing to be strong. God, we pray you'd open our hearts and challenge us, God, in our love for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, Paul, while sitting under house arrest in Rome, had heard about the church in Ephesus and how it was doing. At the time of the letter that was written here, it was around A.D. 60 to 61, and the, loc- and the location of Ephesus was... Right in a, a very principal port of the of minor Asia, or Asia minor, minor, which presented an amazing opportunity for evangelism and also church growth. I mean, you know, it's good to have a church where people are not saved, and it presents an amazing opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church was thriving in many ways. Many will tell you that was doing well as a church body and it was doing what they needed to do. And this excited the Apostle Paul when he heard about what was going on. In this verse, we find that Paul pointed out a couple of things about their faith in the Lord and not only that, but their love for each other or their love for the saints, he pointed out in the verse that we read this morning. And I'm I'm sure excited him because he had spent two years Pouring into the church of Ephesus on his second visit, and he hung around there for almost two close to three years or two to three years pouring into them and and discipling them and encouraging them. And how many know it's good when you hear that some of the work you've done in the past is still going forward? And it gets you excited when you find out that you poured into somebody's life. And we should never want everything to fall apart when we leave. That is not a leader. We should always want things to continue and advance and go forward as God would have it. So Paul was probably excited to hear this. After all, he had poured many sermons and many things into that church body. So Paul writes a letter to this church that would not only be for the local congregation, but later would be used for centuries to come, even in the canon of Scripture we have this morning, to encourage church. To encourage churches and, and also to encourage the saints on what it is to have that relationship with Christ. So, what he, he wrote that day in that house arrest in Rome has still encouraging us throughout the centuries. And he writes this letter to them. The letter to the church at Ephesus is really an amazing letter. I took time before I prepared the message and read the whole book once again, Just to, and I thought, wow, how can you, there's no way you can preach this, this particular book in, in a 30-minute setting. And so it, it just has so much stuff. It's full of theology. It's got all kinds of good theology in it, it's full of exhortations for the believers and how we are to walk and how we are to live. And it's got all these things and who we are. It helps us to understand more about our position. You know, sometimes we need to understand who we are in Christ, where we stand in Christ, what we have in Christ Jesus. It has been called the Alps of the New Testament, the Grand Canyon of Scriptures, the Royal Capstone of the Epistles when you look at the book of Ephesians. It's an amazing letter that Paul wrote that day. While he was in prison, the Spirit-filled Life Study Bible with Hayford's uh, commentary wrote this about it. It says the throbbing message of Ephesians is to the praise is to the praise of His glory. The word glory is, occurs eight times and refers to exceeding excellence of God's love, His wisdom and His power. The magnificent go is in Jesus announced commitment to build a glorious, mature, and ministering church. Get that. A ministering church. How many know the Lord never was going to build a church that was just going to sit around? Get a hold of it. It's a ministering church. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Not having a spot or wrinkle. That's where Hayford said about it. Could it be that Paul wrote to a thriving church a reminder of how important Christ is to the local body. To a thriving church, that's something that would get your attention when everything's going good. Why would Paul write such a a letter? And sometimes, how many of you know it's when we're on the top that we forget where we came from? When things are going good, we forget how we got there. And sometimes we don't quite understand the process of it, and, and it seems that we forget those things. See, among all of the powerful revelation found in the letter to the Ephesians in the church at Ephesus, we also find a common thread throughout the epistle and that common thread is Christ. That common thread is Christ throughout that epistle. One day a man drove by a farm and saw a three-legged pig. The man went up to the farmer and said, excuse me, but why does that pig only have three legs? Well, said the farmer, the pig is very special. One time my wife was cooking something. She stepped out of the kitchen and it caught on fire. No one in the house knew about it but the pig. And he saved me, my wife, and my two kids. That's amazing, said the man, but why does the pig only have three legs? Well, there was that time the pig saw a big storm coming, and we didn't. And the pig ran into the house and dragged us out to the storm cellar. And if, we weren't, if it weren't for the pig, we would have all been dead. But that still doesn't explain why the pig only has three legs. And I remember the time my youngest boy was stuck up a tree, but I was too far away to hear his cries for help. And the pig ran to me and led me to where he was. Well, that is America, but how come that pig only has three legs? The man said quite annoyed by now. Well, said the farmer, with a pig, with the pig that with a pig that special like this one, you have to eat him real slow. I know that's a funny joke. But at the same time, I wonder today how much of Christ do we still have in the church? How much of Jesus do we still have in the local church? How much is left of that Savior? How much is the one left of that one that has brought us out of the storm? How much that we've preached about for centuries is still in the local church that we actually honor more than a three-legged pig? How much of Jesus is church about today? How much is Jesus is still glorified in his house? Because sometimes we forget. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 13 says this, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes which I command you today. Now listen to this part. It says, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Amen. Notice that's the nature of of man that's the nature even in the Christian realm today that we must be careful in those things because sometimes it's in our blessings that we forget who God is And sometimes it's in our success that we forget who God is. And sometimes it's in the the, the numbers that we draw that we forget who God is. And sometimes we don't offer even an opportunity for Jesus to move at any point, in any moment in a service that's supposed to honor Him. Think about it this morning. When Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, the church was doing well. Well, the church was doing good, it was thriving. Paul intertwines the importance of Christ throughout his epistle to the Ephesians. Listen, he intertwines throughout there. There's a lot of great things that are said, and it just I just was reading this and I thought we forget about a lot of things that Paul said about that Jesus who's supposed to be part of the church. I want to share just through the six chapters, real quick. Just a few things. Don't panic. <laughs> we have, listen, we have the I in hymns in chapter one. We have the in hymns in chapter one. If you, if you don't know what I'm saying or knowing what I'm talking about, read chapter one and you'll see the in hymns. Not a hymn, but in hymns. You know, as a child focuses on Christmas morning, usually they focus on the gift rather than the giver. Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes in the church, we focus so much on the gift that we don't focus on the giver. And I just want you to get your mind on the giver this morning. And Paul was getting their mind on the giver, and that giver is Christ listen to some of these in hymns Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ all our blessings are in Christ just as he chose us in him, we are chosen in him, we're not chosen because we're special, we're not chosen because we're good looking, we're chosen because we are in him Come on, it's not our success. It's not all the greatness we have. It's because of Him Him we are chosen. No other way. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. In Him and only in Him do we have redemption. We don't have it no other way, not by works. We can't work our way into heaven. We can't be redeemed. I am purchased by Jesus Christ, not my grandma, not my dad, not my mom, but only in redeemed by Him. Not redeemed by denomination, not redeemed by Religion. I am redeemed only because I am, I am in Him. Listen to what Paul said. Redemption's what we focus on, but we can't forget where redemption comes from. He has a focus upon Christ. Ephesians 1:11 In him also we have attained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him I have an inheritance. In him. Not because I've been in the church for 30 years. It's not because of my tithe and my offering. Don't get me wrong, you need to tithe and you need to give. But it's not because I do those things. It's not because of the things that I'm doing. My inheritance comes to me because of what He did upon the cross of Calvary and I received Him as my Lord and Savior. I can say I got something coming to me in the future. I, I know some of us look towards social security and things like that, but I'm going to tell you, our inheritance is truly up there where Jesus has popped the, and paid the price for it and there's nothing in infl- doesn't get rid of it the government can't get rid of it oh hallelujah we got it because of him it's in him that we have such a wonderful hope hallelujah in Jesus Christ it's in him our inheritance is secure I don't know about you but I look at the stock market almost every day and I think wow that's kind of an iffy thing right in him I have an inheritance Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also have believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Come on, in Him, I have trusted in Him. I haven't trusted in a preacher. Hallelujah, I've trusted in Christ. In Him, I have my salvation. And in Him, because I have trusted Him, I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of Heaven. I'm going to tell you, if you've trusted in the Lord, the enemy sees a seal on you, and it says you've been bought and paid for. You are God's, and you belong to Him. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Hallelujah. Why? Because we are in Him. He is so important. If you haven't figured out what Paul's saying in, in, in chapter one, he is so important to who we are. Chapter 2. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 1. And ye, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Come on, we only are living today. I only have life is because of Jesus Christ. No other reason. We're, we're, we were all walking dead people. We were all born into sin. And the the, the the wages of sin are death. And the only reason that I have life, the only reason I can say I'm gonna live for eternity in heaven is because of Jesus Christ. No other reason. In him I have life. Aren't you glad today that you started living in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. How many of you remember when life came into you and you were quickened? You're thinking, I wonder what that felt like in the tomb when the Holy Spirit quickened the, the, the Lord Savior Jesus there in the tomb and he came alive. The Bible says we are quickened ha, by the same Spirit. Hallelujah. That's why you said, I don't know what happened, but I feel alive today. We have life because of him. Amen? Life. Chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. What we know is because of Christ. What we know is because of Christ. In chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, it says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purposes which He accomplished In Christ Jesus, our Lord. What we know about what goes on in heaven... What we know about the principalities, what we know about salvation, what we know about redemption. If you'll remember, Paul talks many times, he says the mystery has been unveiled. It wasn't unveiled to even Moses and all the prophets, but because of what Jesus did upon the cross of Calvary, now we have that understanding. In Him we have knowledge that other generations did not have. Prophets did not have. I'm saying today because of what He did, He paid the price that we may have those things. That we have understanding. Not only that, but we are told, and he tells the church at Ephesus this. He tells them in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. What love? His love. The Lord's love. He says, we aren't, we, we aren't to be grounded in the love of the church, but we're to be lo- or grounded in the love of God, the love of Jesus, to be grounded. And, and, and he tells a church that's thriving, a church that's really doing some work in the community, a church that's really going forward, he, he tells them you need to be grounded in the love of God. Get a hold of that. What he's saying, he says, you've got to get grounded in His love. What's that look like? Here, I'll give you an example. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of Christ, He died for you and me. God gave His Son for you and me. Even though we were still sinners, He gave His self for us, and that is His love. 1 John four nineteen. For we love Him because He loved us. Can, can I say this is a two-way thing? I know Valentine's is coming up Wednesday and I know it's a two, we have some things we're going to give away, we'll do that next week. But I, I'm saying love has got to be a two-way thing. Okay. Come on, you can't have all the love of God and people say, I want God's love, God's love got me covered. I'm going to ask you this morning or ask that person, are you giving God love back? Come on, the scripture says here, if we're going to be rooted in that love, that type of love that God talks about, I I love him because he first loved me. It talks about a two-way street of love. Hallelujah. And we are to be rooted and grounded in the love that we have for Jesus also. That love that he had for us. Corinthians five fourteen it comes makes more sense for the love of Christ compels us because we judge that if one died for all then all died that word compels means it restrains it constrains me it makes me do something because of the love of Jesus for me my love I just can't I just can't stand still because His love has been so good in my life I've got to express my love back to Him how many know some of us are got in between. When others were expressing their love and you felt their love also back to the Lord. The love of God. It says, Paul tells them, you got to get grounded and rooted in that love. You know, I think about that, David, when he was on the cross and they'd go by and spit in his face. And, and, you know, before he got up there, they beat on him and they whipped him. And that love of Christ, why are you got to be rooted in that? Because that's the way the Lord was. He's got to love. And we've got to love like God loved. Come on, we can't get so big that we don't need to love God back. Because it's in that love that we are compelled to reach the world, a dying world, a world that hates us, a world that doesn't like you. It's that love that will cause you to love your enemy regardless of what they do to you. It's that love. And, and Paul is saying it to a thriving church, you've got to get welded in that love. That means it's got to be part of you so that it can go forth in your life to other circumstances. And it's a challenge. You'll be challenged in chapter four. Everything that we have been given comes from him. Come on. It says in Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now this kind of keeps a fella from getting the big head. Amen? I, I wish I could get over here, but y'all, y'all probably don't want it. I can say for one thing. I'm just way too short for his microphone. <laughs> I thank God for talent. I thank God for talent. Talent on this platform. Those that can lead us into the presence of the Lord. But you know what? They can't boast. I thank God for people that can preach, teach. I thank God for people that are giving. All this stuff, what Paul's saying to them, sometimes he says, I want to remind you, even though you're doing good, even though your church is doing good, even though the only only reason you can do anything is because Christ gave you a gift. Come on, that keeps the old big head down, doesn't it? To realize that when we truly realize it in the church, we can't do anything. We were nothing. God gave us the gift to do what we get to do. And it doesn't let, oh, I'm somebody. I was born this special. No, you weren't. You were given a gift from God to use it for God's glory. I believe God's going to use every or hold every person responsible that took their gift and used it out on a sinful world instead of in the house of God. Because gifts are given. He tells us they come from Christ. We even know that he gives such offices. I preached about that a couple of weeks ago. I didn't figure I want to do that again today. But all talents have come from him. And our abilities. You know, it's easy to see when God's gifted you. Hey man, you watch me play basketball and you'll say, that man is not gifted. And most people say, all I have is the gift of gab. But I want to tell you, I'm using it. I'm just saying today, what we have and our abilities, no matter how successful we are, we must remember they came from Christ. Give Christ the glory for them. It'll keep us where we need to be. Chapter 5. It's interesting. In chapter 5, many of us know that as the talks about the husband and the wife, the wife submitting and the husband loving, but also in that same area, we find out that we are his. Ephesians 5 25 through 20 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy without blemish. Can I say this morning that what we find and what Paul was speaking in the church of Ephesus is that they do not belong to this world. That church has never, the church has never belonged to the world. And the local church has never belonged to the world. We're talking about a king of kings and the Lord of lords. That is the bride, uh, bridegroom. And we're talking that we belong to him. You know, I think it would make a huge difference in the church again. And Paul was trying to express this to the church of of Ephesus. You can't compromise. You can't get yourself dirty. You can't get a spot on that wedding dress because you belong to the king of kings. Kings. He was talking about holiness because we belong to the king. It's time if the church would just get ready for that for that day, for that wedding day, and reserve ourselves for our Lord only without compromise. I'm telling you, I believe God would come down and Jesus would walk among the bride, and we would experience revival in the church today because we belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. There's a covenant, there's been a covenant agreement, and there's an engagement time. and we're in that engagement time but in the engagement time there's no time for fooling around it's to be committed unto the Lord until that day at the marriage supper of the Lamb he says we don't have room for compromise we have to have that relationship with Christ we are his we do not belong to the world and we need to make ourselves ready for him what does he like? Come on, when when Esther was fixing to go before the king, she asked the one that knew the king what the king liked. She says, and I'm adding a little bit here. She says, what perfume does the king like? And he told her. And so she put that perfume on. What color is the king's favorite? So she went out to Walmart and got her that favorite color of the king. And when she walked into that door, she had everything that the king liked. She looked like what the king would like. And she also smelled like what the king would like. I'm saying today it's time that the church realizes that we have a broad group coming and start dressing up for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What does he like? He likes holiness. He likes sanctification. He likes a realm of our prayers going up to heaven. He likes mercy flowing out of us. Come on. That's what the king wants today in the church. Why not? Because we are his bride. We don't belong to the world. Hallelujah. It's time we dress like we know who we're married. Mm. He's our king, and he's our Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Can we just give him praise? Hallelujah. Oh, we praise you, our king and our Lord, in this house this morning. Oh, help us, Lord. Ah, for we want to make ourselves, Lord, without spot and wrinkle under thee, oh, Lord God, today. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, our king and our Lord. We go to chapter six. He is our protection in battle. We all know the armor of God and I said something a few weeks back about it. But I'm gonna tell you all our armor. You know, I could probably take this jacket off and it says made in China because I'm a cheap preacher. I'm sure you got something on right now that says made in China. But I want you just to think about one thing this morning: the armor that we got, what it—that—that—that that, that belt of truth. It says made by Jesus. Come on, that breastplate of righteousness is made by Jesus. Though that shot our feet with the gospel, it's made by Jesus. That shield of faith is made by Jesus. That helmet of salvation has got His name on it also. Uh, I'm telling you, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is made by Jesus. All that we get protected by and are told to put on is made by Jesus, our King and our Lord. And the warranty is for eternity. Hallelujah! Praise be unto God. All made by Jesus. Paul said, be sure to put all the armor on. And all that armor is made by Him. Hallelujah. All by Him. I had scripture reference for all that, but it's made by Jesus. Take my word for it. You know, although there's much to be discussed in the book of Ephesus or the book of Ephesians, We can truly see Paul establishing Christ at the center of it all. I hope the next time you read it, look for how Paul points the church back to Christ. A flourishing church. He says, keep Jesus at the center of it. The church and the Christians are nothing on their own no matter how successful they seem in the eyes of their peers without Christ and the love for Christ, all we do is in vain. All we do. Now let's fast forward to another letter written to this very church. The time is somewhere between A.D. 70 and 95. Most scholars will tell you it's more in the A.D. 90 area. Paul, the writer of the first epistle to the church of Ephesus, has now went on and he's in the presence of the Lord. He's been martyred, he, his head was, he was decapitated, and now he is in the presence of the Lord. That place that he tore in between, being stay in the body or to be with the Lord. Now he's there. The letter is now dictated to John in the book of Revelation. It's dictated by Christ Himself to John. And told him to write these things down. And Christ starts with a very revealing yet sobering statement. Revelation 2 and 2 through 3 it says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Isn't it a sobering thought to know That He knows what we're doing at San Jacinto Assembly of God. Isn't it a sobering and revealing thought when He knows why we do what we do? What's behind our actions? See, there's no mind games with God because He knows what goes on in every one of our minds. He knows exactly what's happening. He looks down upon this church which has been now going for decades. Remember the first letter was A.D. 60 and this one is probably A.D. AD 90. That's just 30 years in the church business. How many know we've been here since 1953? Started in a little storefront. I haven't been here that long. Started in a little storefront, then they built the army out of the army's barracks, and then they built the two-story thing, and they built this in 1980, somewhere around there, 82. And then they built the Family Life Center in 1998, 99, somewhere there for the history. But the church has actually been going longer than this church that we're talking about. The Lord looks down upon them. They, st- they seem to still have it going on. They've got ministry going on. They've got things happening. They've got, they're, they're touching people's lives. And, and they're even ministering in the name of Jesus for his name's sake. They're standing for righteousness. And they're laboring in his name day in and day out. I said, We are about Jesus. And they are looking on the outside like a church that's still on fire after 30, 40 years. Still doing things for God. On the outside is what it looks like. But listen to what he goes on and says. In Revelation 2, 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That you have left your first love. Remember, let's turn back to Ephesians just for a moment. He had told them through Paul to get rooted. Now my wife, she uprooted a big old stump that we had the other day. I'd been still thinking about it. But the reason she was able to do that is because the roots were no longer there. And it had been sitting there for quite some time. I'm going to tell you, when it talks about getting rooted, it says get attached to it and stay attached to it. Paul wasn't saying just come down a little bit and let those roots get ate off. He says get attached to it, stay attached to it, live by it, let it be part of the center of the church. And now the Lord looks at them, even though they got everything going on, like it seems like I would, you would almost say, I want to pastor that church. But the Lord says you have lost your first love. And that's talking about Jesus. Remember back in Ephesus, back in the book of Ephesians, Paul threaded through chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, and chapter six. He threaded the name that's above every name through what he was discussing. And now, guess who's getting on to him? It's not Paul. Paul might have been up there going, I wrote him a letter, Lord. I told him the truth. But now the Lord is coming and He's using John to come and speak to that church. He was literally speaking of their love for Him. But now they are not compelled by their love for Christ. Can I tell you, the atmosphere of a church can change from being compelled by the love of Christ to being compelled by by the love of the church. And when it starts to be compelled by the love of church, it no longer flexes to what Jesus wants to do in the church. Don't shout me down. See, they are more compelled by the cause instead of of the Christ. The cause, they are fervent about standing for righteousness. They're fervent about, you are sinners and I'm not. They're more compelled about the cause than they are about the Christ. Because the Bible says they're still doing some work. Could this shine a light on the group mentioned in Matthew? That Jesus says, depart from me for I never knew you that done works in His name and all this, and He says, depart from me. Is it that critical that we have the love of Jesus compelling us in the church body? Yes, it is. We can look like the church and we can act like the church, but if we're not having our love right where it needs to be with the Lord, then we are doing things in vain. Because if you remember, if you read on down, He says, I will take you out. (coughs) See, Jesus calls this church out for operating in religion instead of a relationship. He calls this church out for operating in religion and not relationship. It's relationships that make things happen and it's our relationship with Him that induces the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of us. It's our relationship that will compel us to do what Christ has, has told us to do. It's when we let the love of Christ that flows back unto Him, we are saying, send me, Lord. Let me do what You've asked me to do. It's the love of Christ that compels us. And he looks down on this church who had a letter from Paul And he says, you have left your first love. What a sad place to be. What an awakening to get something from Christ. You know, the only blessed thing about that is, they got it on this side of glory. Amen. They got it on this side. Aren't you glad God woke you up in your sin on this side and not on the other? See, all that we do must come from the love of Christ. It must come from His love. All that we do here at this church must come from His love. Am I doing something to somebody? Is it coming out of His love? His love for us and our love for Him. Sometimes we need to increase that. Amen? Remember our love. After all, he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. He is the head, all of you come, and we are the body. Come on, we forget that every now and then. He's the head and the body. I remember watching videos, Johnny, of chickens when someone wringed their neck. I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore to eat the bird. (laughs) I remember my grandmom doing that and we were there and those chickens started chasing us. They didn't have a head. They looked alive and all that, but they weren't. That's just a rude. You do that to kids now and you would be turned in for abuse. Chickens running around with their heads off. And we're fixing to eat them. (laughs) You know, a headless body Listen, a headless body is blind and useless and subject to whatever someone wants to do to it. The church has never been meant to be headless. I love this thing, even though it's not that good looking sometimes. I like to keep it on here. Amen? Because it tells this arm what to do and this arm this leg, without it, I would not have much. Hopefully you look in the mirror and say, I love you. If you want to go good joke, do that every now and then. But I'm saying today, a church that no longer has Jesus and the love for the Lord in the midst of the church is no more than a headless body. And the devil just pushes them over to this way and over this way that he can do whatever he wants to do with them before he devours them. But I'm gonna tell you, it's a different story when you put the head on. Because see, the head's watching out for that old wolf. The head knows what the body needs. All of it flows from there. We need to love Jesus in the church. Man, when we sang songs, I love you, Lord it should just roll tears down our hearts and our cheeks because of who Jesus is. When we sing under our King, hallelujah, We should take time in the service, whatever it is, and just have a time to worship and praise our King. Why? Because His love should compel us. We should be so in love with our Lord that we just want to sing to Him a little bit. It's in those times that you have a refreshing. You'll never feel more in love with Him than when you open your hearts and you start to sing, I love you, Lord. In those moments in our lives when we're down spiritually, come on, we just need to say, Lord, I love you. I love you, Jesus. Oh, for the church to say, we love you, Lord. One more time. Forget how long we've been in business. Forget all the accomplishments. And just start singing a dark king again. Do you hear me this morning? Amen.